Good morning. Man, it's good to see you all. Um, For those of you I don't know, my name is Kondo. I get to serve as one of the pastors here at Mission Point Community Church, especially if you're a guest with us. A special welcome to you. We are um, still reeling as we enter a pretty exciting season of our life as a church. This is our third week in this, our beautiful new home uh, here at the Warsaw Performing Arts Center. And we couldn't be more thankful for the new season in which the Lord is taking us together as a church. And so as we are stepping into this new season, uh, we thought, what better way to enter a new chapter than to go back to the first chapter of the church. And so we've spent the last couple of weeks just kind of retracing some um, of the heartbeat of this church, some of the things we know God has called us to be and be about as a church. And um, Again, if you're newer, uh, you couldn't have picked a better time to show up as you get to hear a little bit uh, more about what the Lord has called us to, uh, about what the heartbeat of this uh, church is. And uh, simply put, and you heard it earlier, we as a church exist uh, to invite everyone everywhere to life in Christ. We are a Christ-centered, mission-focused church. Uh, we, we exist to be all about Jesus and all about figuring out the ways that, that we can carry on his mission of offering free forgiveness and forever friendship with God. Because what we know is that there are tens of thousands of people in our county who still live to this day with a broken relationship with Jesus Christ. Their sins are still being carried on their shoulders, and they're headed to certain judgment. And what Jesus has called us to as a church is to be about taking the hope of his free forgiveness and his forever friendship to the world around us. And we do that by showing his love in very tangible ways and by sharing his life in very verbal ways as well. Um, By the way, I just want to pause and say this, that our priority um, as a church, this mission priority, this idea of taking the gospel to the world around us, the idea of inviting everyone everywhere to life in Christ, starting with our own county, this um, idea that the point of Mission Point is the mission, this wasn't something that a bunch of us really creative folks went to a retreat and came up with. The reason the mission of the gospel is a priority at Mission Point is because we believe that the mission of the gospel is the priority of Jesus for his church. This wasn't something we conjured up. It was something we see over and over in his word and that we want to lean into, that we want to obey him in doing. But look at the way he says this. This is one of the most well-known passages in which Jesus Christ tells his church universally what he wants them to prioritize, what he wants them to be about. This is Matthew 28, verse 18. Look at this up on your screens. Um, Just one screen at least. But it says, then Jesus came to them and said, this is to his followers. And he said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. In other words, I am the boss and I get to tell people what to do. Verse 19. 
Therefore, he says, go and make disciples of all nations. That is mission priority for his church. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And so after Jesus dies to pay for, for, for sins... And he, he, he rises from the dead to prove that his payment was good, that he's actually successfully paid for sins. He gathers his followers on a hillside and he gives them this order. This is the church's mission priority. And he says to them, make disciples. Now, there are a lot of different interpretations about what that means, uh, but Mark does a great job of clarifying the heart of what Jesus meant when he said that, when he captures this same scene in his gospel. Look at what he says in verse 15 of chapter 16. He, Jesus, said to them, same scene, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation." Tell the world around you that God now offers free forgiveness and forever friendship to people who have sinned against him and who have broken their relationship with him. Tell the world that no matter who they are, no matter where they're from, no matter what they've done, no matter how many mistakes they've made, no matter how big a mess they've made, Jesus is saying, I have paid for their sin. Now go and tell them that they can experience free forgiveness and forever friendship with God. Tell everyone. That is the mission priority of the church. That's the mission priority of our church at Mission Point because we believe that is the mission priority of the church according to Jesus. And so whatever else we do as a church, whatever else we do well as a church, we want this to be the priority over all else. Showing and sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ in our community, inviting everyone everywhere to life in Christ, starting with the thousands of people outside these walls who don't yet know him. And so if you call Mission Point uh, Community Church home, then you are part of a movement of people who wants to obey our Savior by carrying his message of free forgiveness and a restored friendship to the people starting in Kosciuszko County. Okay, here's the thing. Um, I think many of us understand that. And I think many of us believe that. In fact, I'm sure many of us agree with this. The problem, like we said last week, is actually doing it. The problem is not saying amen to the priority of Jesus Christ to reach the lost in the world around us. Most of us would say amen to that, but amen doesn't turn into a movement and the mission is still ignored. The reality is we agree with this. The problem is that moment when we leave the safety of this room and we stand face to face with people in our county who desperately need to know Jesus' forgiveness. That intimidation and fear sets in, and we end up retreating from the very priority to which 
Jesus has called his church. The problem is when we stand in front of real people and we share the gospel or we attempt to share the gospel and people don't respond positively. They distance themselves from us. And so we decide, you know what? We're done sharing. Um, the sting is too great. The problem, it's not that we don't agree with Jesus. The problem is when we step outside this room and we just don't know where to start. So we just don't start at all. I mean, I would have said something, but I wasn't sure what to say. So for the last 15 years, I haven't been sure, so I haven't said anything. A problem is when we share and we don't see any real results. Like we can't remember the last time we we dared to share and then we saw an actual story of somebody coming to Jesus Christ. So we tap out and we just, you know, we leave it to the professionals. So what we want to do as we revisit the heart of what Jesus calls this church and his church to be um, about is we want to get beyond the amen and get into the mission. And I thought, you know, what better way to encourage us to do that than to look at at a story of Jesus going toe-to-toe with a demon? I mean, isn't that just what we need? I think so. Um, So we are going to look at one of the famous and crazy stories of Jesus Christ's encounter with a demon, because I really think that's going to help us to actually go from simply agreeing with the mission of taking the gospel to the world around us to actually taking steps and doing it. And so, you know, what we're going to see in this story, and feel free to turn there, Mark chapter 4, and we're going to start reading at verse 31. But I think what we're going to find in this story is Jesus dealing with the same obstacles and the same challenges that we face when we take the gospel out. And I think what the story would do is it will give us some gospel sharing principles to tuck away in our toolkit. Because here's secretly our hope and our prayer. Now it's no longer a secret. We long to see Mission Point share the gospel this fall more than we've shared the gospel in all five falls combined previous to this one. We want to lean in to obeying this priority command of Jesus Christ and share hope with the hopeless in our county. And if we're going to legitimately do that, I think this story is going to surface uh, some really meaningful tools to tuck away in our gospel toolkit. And we are going to need it when we leave these walls and step into the intimidating and often daunting worlds in which we go. But Luke chapter 4, verse 31, Jesus is about to go to church in a town called Capernaum. And um, this this is about to to get really, really festive and very, very interesting. Luke chapter 4, starting at verse 31. Um, All right, so here's what it says. Then he, Jesus went down to Capernaum, a town in Galilee. And on the Sabbath, he taught the people. They were amazed at his teaching because his words had authority. So Jesus is in town, right? Recap. And he's doing what Jesus does. He is sharing 
the gospel. He is offering God's free forgiveness. He's offering God's forever friendship with people. So these folks, they show up to their church service just like they had Sabbath after Sabbath. They show up to church just like they had in that day, Saturday after Saturday after Saturday, having no idea church is about to be off the hook today, though. We have a special speaker um, this morning. He is from heaven, which we believe is north of us. Um, And the next thing you know, this slender stranger stands up and straight shakes things up. This little congregation has never heard anything like this before. They've heard hundreds of well-prepared and very well-presented church talks before, but they never heard anything like this. They had heard very accurate and theologically precise messages Saturday after Saturday, but they had never heard anything like this. They had never felt words that seemed to carry the very weight of heaven sitting on their hearts as they did when this speaker spoke. Jesus was literally bringing down the house and the heavens in their experience. They could not explain what it was they were feeling, articulate in his words with incredible authority. Best day at church ever. Everyone is marveling at Jesus' teaching. Well, check that. Everybody is having a great time at church, except this one dude who's kind of sitting there, arms folded, suspicious grin on his face, rocking back and forth like he's just fixing to mess up the best day of church ever. Um... Don't take my word for it. Let's meet this guy who is about to turn this place into cray-cray crazy fest, okay? Verse 33 says this. In the synagogue, there was a man possessed by a demon, an impure spirit. And he cried out at the top of his voice, go away. What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Now, because I realize that demons and demonology, this is not part of our, you know, regular uh, dinnertime conversation. Let me just give you a quick 101. First thing, demons are very real. It's not something we often talk about. It's not something we often experience, especially in this cultural context. But they are very real. And what demons are is an army of rogue angels that had attempted to stage a mutiny, a coup, to overthrow God in heaven. Didn't work out. They failed. Um, As a result, God booted this army of rebel angels Led by their general, Satan, of course. And he kicked them out of heaven and down to earth. We don't know how many of them they were. We don't know what these creatures look like. But we know a number of things about them. Number one, they are incredibly powerful. 
They are more powerful than any human being's ability to resist or to defeat. In fact, collectively together, we would not have the ability to defeat or resist or overpower one of these creatures. We know that these demons are still entirely committed to destroying God by destroying what he loves the most. And at the top of that list is humanity. They are bent on lashing out at God by taking human beings down. And they have two main strategies for this. They will influence, meaning they'll deceive us, whisper lies, and convince us to rebel against God and to chase things that promise to bring us all kinds of satisfaction, anything to pull us away from God. But if influence doesn't work, there are times when these creatures will invade. They will literally inhabit a person and commandeer their body. They will take over control, rendering their will and their choice useless. If I cannot convince you by influence to rebel against God, I am going to occupy your body and make the decision for you to rebel against God. And so demon possession is this reality in which one of these angels commandeers a person's body, bent on destroying them in any way they see fit. If persuasion doesn't work, possession sometimes takes place. So apparently there is a man who has been possessed. He's been overtaken by one of these demons and he's sitting in the church service. No ability to resist this powerful being. This rebel angel is now calling the shots. Um, apparently, This demon doesn't like Jesus very much. His presence and his power is enough to agitate and provoke this demon to come out of hiding in the shadows. And it lashes out by screaming through his host at the top of his voice. And it is pure rage mixed with sheer terror. Go away, go away. It keeps repeating over and over again. Leave, leave, it tells Jesus. And then in schizophrenic fashion, it starts to retreat in fear. Oh, please don't hurt us. Please don't hurt us. Please don't hurt us. And in this powerful moment, this powerful creature acknowledges the most powerful one of all. And it says, I know who you are. Jesus. The perfect one of God. And in fact, I know your mission that you have come to this world to undo all of the power and effects of sin. I know that you have come to destroy the works of evil. No one told us you're coming so soon. Demon's a little surprised. Are you here already? This was not on our calendar. We thought we had a little more time. Please. Don't destroy us. This is so fascinating. Can you imagine, by the way, being in that service where one minute it's like, this is the best service ever. And next minute, not so much. But this crowd is probably frozen. 
No idea what to do, panicked as they experience this supernatural deal. And I'm telling you, I've been in some situations like this. Not awesome. Don't put it on your bucket list. But they're sitting in this situation, and then the camera pans over to Jesus, and you notice Jesus is just not shaken. He's just not bothered by this powerful being at all. Maybe Jesus is a little annoyed because he wasn't done teaching. He still had some things to say before, you know, demon rudely interrupts his spiel. But in either case, (laughs) it is so on right now. Jesus versus the demon. The the, the son of God versus one of these lieutenants of Satan. It's about to be on here at church. Mano y mano. The rumble in AD 30. And look at verse 35. Be quiet, Jesus said sternly. Come out of him. Then the demon, well, threw the man down before them all and came out without injuring him, came out without incident. <laughs> this, is, this, is, this is hilarious and maybe even a little frustrating. In the red corner, hailing from the north, Jesus. And in the blue corner, hailing from way, 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 way south. The demon. Let's get ready to... Demon? 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 TKO. The sponsors are frustrated. They've spent a lot of money publicizing this little fight. You know, the customers, they want their money back. They were hoping for a more epic battle between Jesus and this representative of the evil one. But with two verbal hits, shh, and come out, Jesus lays this demon flat on the ground and the fight is over. You didn't even have time to pop your corn. And it is a wrap. If you ever want to be bored and find an anticlimactic story, read one of these exorcism stories in which Jesus effortlessly undoes the power of the enemy. Dude is down. Demon is out. Jesus is bad news. T-K-O. Takes out this powerful creature that no human being can overcome. With two words. That is authority. And then the no-brainer section of the story ensues. Because of course this happens. Look at verse 36. All the people were amazed. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. And said to each other, what words these are with authority and power. He gives orders to impure spirits and they come out. And the news about him spread throughout the surrounding area. People are mesmerized by Jesus and word of him spreads through the region. And can I just say again, this is our dream as a church. This is our dream for the county, that the name and the news of Jesus Christ would spread like wildfire in our county, that he would be made famous in our time. But what a crazy story. 
And like I said, I think the story gives us some key tools if we're going to continue to share the gospel in our county this fall and into the future. If we are going to obey this priority mission of Jesus Christ to offer free forgiveness and forever friendship to people who are headed towards judgment, separated from God. I think this story gives us some gospel tools for our toolkits. And again, please hear me. If you have no intention and no desire to honor and obey the command of Jesus to share the gospel, then these tools are useless to you. But for curiosity's sake, please feel free to eavesdrop. But if there's any inkling in us to say we want to spend our lives doing the one thing that we cannot do after we die, then I think we'll find some helpful principles here. And here's the first one. Um, We've got to predecide. Then, when it comes to sharing the gospel, we will keep on venting. Um, my spell check didn't like this word. I'm not sure why. Keep on venting. It's interesting. As I reread um, this story, the first thing that stood out to me was in verse 31. And it wasn't the authority of Jesus. It wasn't how articulate Jesus was. It was the, the first word in verse 31. The simple word, then. Then. And I know you've been longing to participate because I've been doing the talking. So why don't we just enter in right here and let's say this word, then. Okay, so that was 40%. Let's try that one more time. Then. Okay, that's 45%, but I can work with that. I can work with that. But look again at verse 31. It says, then he, Jesus, he went down to Capernaum, a town in Galilee, and on the Sabbath he taught the people. Then Jesus went to Capernaum to offer the gospel. Then Jesus came to share the good news that God wants to freely forgive and forever refriend the worst kind of sinners. Then... Now, I know you're wondering, so I'll tell you why then was so compelling. See, before Jesus came to Capernaum, um, he had taken a trip to his hometown of Nazareth, just a few miles away. This is the place where he grew up. This is the place where his family and friends still were. This is the place where the kids that he came up with still lived and called it home. But while Jesus was there, this homecoming um, trip to Nazareth, he did what Jesus does. Shared the gospel with them. And by the way, if you're going to share the gospel, no better place to start than home with your friends and your family. So uh, they give Jesus the mic at church one day. And uh, Jesus shares free forgiveness, forever friendship with God And specifically, Jesus chooses to tell his family and friends that God offers forgiveness, not just to the religious Jews who they represented, but he actually has come to offer forgiveness to the whole world, regardless of creed, culture, and color. He shares the gospel plainly and boldly. Um, His hometown folk hear this and they decide... um, 
yeah, we've got to kill you now. True story. Apparently, they are so furious at the thought of this plan to include all kinds of people in heaven. They don't like this version of the gospel that the congregation turns into a murderous mob. So look here at how Jesus' gospel-sharing debut turns out. Let's backtrack, verse 28. It says, All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. So they got up and they drove him out of town and took him to the brow, the edge of the hill on which the town was built, in order to throw him off the cliff. By the way, can I just thank you? For not responding so immaturely if you don't like one of my messages. But they apparently, family and friends, try to kill Jesus. Don't you just hate when that happens with the people you love and you share hope with them and they decide that they want to kill you for it. And um, by the way, did anyone else notice how this section of scripture, it has the heading on it and the heading reads, Jesus rejected at Nazareth. That's amusing to me. Rejected. Come on, man. Rejected is when people don't want to come to your house to play anymore. Rejected is when you get unfriended. Rejected is when you're no longer invited to your nephew's bar mitzvah. But when the very hands that used to embrace you as a kid try to push you off the cliff to your death, that's not rejection, that's attempted murder. And what this passage is telling us is Jesus' family and friends assault and attempt to murder him when he shares the message of the gospel with them. Somebody say then. Okay. Jesus manages to miraculously escape through this little frenemy mob of his. Then, the Bible says he quit the mission of sharing the gospel because people didn't respond favorably his first try. Then, Jesus, you know, he became a passive cynic because the church had burned him. And by burned him, I mean they tried to kill him when he shared with them. Then Jesus didn't risk sharing the gospel because sharing the gospel can get risky. It can get messy. It can get costly. So he bailed out. Then, you know, he sat in a cave of self-pity and safety because carrying hope wasn't easy. No, it says in verse 31, then Jesus moved on from that place to the next place. He moved from that town to the next town and continued to offer the gospel, telling people God offers free forgiveness and forever friendship with him. Then Jesus kept sharing the gospel. Apparently, he refused to let anything hijack the mission. Listen, keep on thenning. I'm just saying, if you've never nearly died sharing the gospel, you have no excuse to not keep on thenning and sharing. The, and if you've nearly died sharing the gospel, you have no excuse to, to not keep sharing the message of the gospel. I love this. Jesus' first attempt did not go great. Then he kept on sharing. And your friends mocked you for telling them Jesus wants to have a relationship with them. Then you moved on and shared hope with the other table in the cafeteria. 
Your family and friends mocked you because you've turned into this weird Jesus freak who's always sharing about the forgiveness of God with us. Then you moved on and shared with other family who were maybe more open to hearing it. And then you circled back next Thanksgiving to share with them just in case the door was open again. Your coworkers don't invite you to go out with them after work because you constantly want to offer them this hope. And then you find other coworkers to share the gospel with. It is amazing how often we will stop sharing the gospel because we ran into resistance. And I love the story of Jesus who comes from the worst first gospel outing ever. Then he goes on to the next place to continue to share the gospel. He kept on zenning the gospel, even when it didn't go great. And I don't know about you, but I am so thankful that he didn't quit. I'm so thankful that he pressed on. Can we just decide right now that we will fearlessly follow our fearless leader and continue to share the only message that will bring life, even when it's not easy? Because it won't always be. And unless you have the tool in your toolkit that says, it may not go great, but I'm going to keep venting. Many of us are going to bail the minute we run into resistance. Keep on venting. I don't want to look at Jesus on that day and say, the reason I didn't share the gospel with the people in my world was, well, you know, um, I didn't want to be rejected. Surely you understand that. So let's decide now not to quit. Our Savior didn't. Keep on venting. The second thing, share it bravely. Just take this truth and tuck it away. But share the gospel bravely. It is amazing to me how often the church walks around apologizing and sheepish. Like we are committing some kind of cultural crime when we offer the gospel to people. Share it bravely. I like this story because what it does for me is it puts a little flesh and bone on Jesus' promise. When he says in Matthew 28, we just saw this a little bit ago, uh, second part of verse 20. Jesus says, and surely I am with you all. Always to the very end of the age. I am with you to the end of the age. As you take the message of the gospel, I am with you. Now, I'll hear that and I'll think, okay, you're with me, Jesus. Like the sweet little dear baby Jesus, you're with me. Or like Jesus loves the little children, you're with me. Or Jesus walking on water, you're with me. And yet it says in Matthew 28, um, no, it's speaking very specifically about Jesus who carries all authority. This is saying the demon TKOing Jesus is with us whenever we venture out to share the message of the gospel. Jesus says all authority in heaven and on earth is mine and all of me will be with you when you go out to share the gospel. Listen to me. There will never be a time when you venture out to tell someone of God's free forgiveness and his forever friendship when you cannot be guaranteed that the entire weight of heaven's authority and this demon crusher named Jesus is with you, his authority hovering over you. Sometimes we treat the gospel like it was just my idea and it's just poor little me. 
Going up against the big, bad, and dark, whatever it is that intimidates us. And this story puts flesh on the promise of his proximity and his presence with us. It is demon-crushing Jesus with all authority accompanying his church. Every single time you share the gospel, regardless of where that happens to be. If it cannot stand up to Jesus, it cannot stand up to us. When we are carrying the gospel. One of my favorite stories, and you've heard me tell it. Some of you can finish the story for me. But it's, it's uh, a preacher tells a story of his little sister, um, you know, coming down to get him for dinner one evening. And it's, you know, they live in the hood, an apartment building. She comes down the stairs, crosses the street, and comes and tells him, it's time to come home. He's with his boys. I mean, so he's not about to head out and, you know go with his little sister so he completely ignores her treats her like she doesn't exist so she turns around goes back to the apartment building and comes back down a few minutes later and she comes stands at the edge of the basketball court and says daddy said it's time to come home he's like peace drops the ball heads right away to the apartment building And I love that story. It's such a reminder of what Jesus says to us. It's not because a little girl went and did some weights and came back swole and she was a little bit more intimidating that he listened to her. It was because she came and made very clear, I come in the authority of our father. If you have an issue, it's not me you have an issue with. It's the authority I'm carrying with me. Whenever I share the gospel, I'm simply announcing, daddy said, come home. Daddy said, receive his free forgiveness. Daddy wants to restore the friendship that sin has broken. And I can be assured that I'm accompanied by the presence and the authority of Jesus Christ himself. There's no power in this county that is greater than the power that accompanies us. That should shift the way in which we carry ourselves or think about the mission to share the gospel. Because whatever we're afraid of, I assure you, must eventually yield to the authority that accompanies us. A church should never carry the gospel sheepishly unless we just don't believe all authority is accompanying us because Jesus is with us. The gospel is our county's only hope. And we are accompanied by all of heaven's authority. Share the gospel with boldness. Our third thing, don't measure response. Don't measure response. Amazing how quickly we get discouraged because we shared the gospel and people didn't fall on their knees and surrender and take selfies with us and and post on Instagram and thank us so much um, for the gospel. And we often end up believing the gospel didn't work. And then enter Jesus. And I love this story because Jesus' first outing seems like a bust. The first time he shared the gospel, they tried to kill him. Second time he shared the gospel, a demon got really, really lippy with him. Not going very great. The thing I didn't see is an outbreak of revival in Nazareth and then an outbreak of revival in Capernaum. If you have shared the gospel and people haven't responded by giving their life to Jesus in mass, get over yourself. Even Jesus shared the gospel and it didn't appear that people responded favorably. Listen, 
The response is never our responsibility. It's amazing how we get discouraged by the response. The response is not the mission. Our mission is to offer the gospel. The response is entirely up to God. But once we start to measure response, we're going to look at moments like Nazareth, and we're going to look at moments, you you, you know, like your last Thanksgiving attempt, and you're going to look at moments like your grandfather who doesn't want to hear the name Jesus. You're going to look at moments like Capernaum and think fail. But can I assure you, Nazareth was not a failure. It was a seed. I know my mom shared the gospel with me 17 years, and it seemed to have no response, no result. And then one day, I fall on my knees and give my life to Christ and ask for his forgiveness, and she wasn't even around to see it after all that work. But those 17 years, parents were not a fail. They were a seed. They were an investment. And the reason I know that Nazareth was an investment was because I read James 1.1. When the little brother of Jesus finally believes Jesus years later and he calls him his Lord and he calls himself the servant of Jesus. Wait, James, weren't you one of those people who rejected him in your hometown? Weren't you one of those people who thought he was crazy? Weren't you one of those people who actually tried to kill him? And yet, eventually, God brought about his effect. This county is not going to be changed if we measure response and get discouraged because we don't see anything yet. Our calling is to sow the seed and leave the response to him. Don't measure response. Major in making the offer. And own your sphere own your sphere. One of the questions that often keeps us stuck, I think, is, well, 50,000 people in our county, where do I start? I love that Jesus started where he was. When he was in Nazareth, he shared the gospel. When it was Capernaum, he shared the gospel. Um, and I think we could learn something from that. And in the Great Commission, he says, go and make disciples. And literally, he says, as you go, make disciples. And so one of the questions is, where do you go? One of the questions is, what are the places where you go that the church may not be present? What are spheres that may be unique to you? And one of them is our families, you know, our homes. Um, And for some of us, it's the industry in which we work. And for some of us, it's the restaurant we frequent. And for some of us, it's just different places in which we find ourselves on a regular basis. And I love uh, the fact that you go to places I never go. And I go to places you never go. I'll never have access to to Warsaw High School to sit at a table with other students. I'll never have access to the orthopedic world or or, or to, to, you know, some of the restaurant world. But some of you do. I'll never be on campus. I'll never be part of an athletic team ever, you know, um, with that opportunity. But here's the point. Jesus shared the gospel where he was. And if all of us owned our sphere, it is amazing how this county would be completely covered. Because in this room, we represent all almost every realm in this county. Not because each of us reached 50,000 people, but because each of us owned our sphere and shared where we were. So where is that for you? And what will it look like for you to share the gospel there? Uh, Let me say one last thing, and let me make this declaration. Can we just declare in our hearts It's Jesus and only Jesus. 
Um, And as I studied this story, the Spirit impressed on my heart this um, idea. And, And here's why. Because I wonder if there are many of us who are hiding in the shadows in church, but have never experienced the free forgiveness and the friendship restored with God. Because I don't know if anybody else read this story and asked the question, wait a minute, why was a demon at church? And in fact, if you read the language, the demon seems to feel very territorial over that area. Why are you on my turf, Jesus? But why is the devil in church? If nothing else, this story stirred in me the reality that church cannot save anybody. Even accurate theology cannot save anybody. Can I just tell you now that demons have better theology than you? Did you notice in Nazareth, they're like, kill him. And then in Capernaum, the demon's like, I know who you are. You're Jesus, the son of God, savior of the world. Hallelujah. But the concern in this story is I'll often hear people say, I want to go to church and get my life right. And the idea is that if I somehow get into church, then I have a relationship with God. This story reminds us it is Jesus and only Jesus who saves. It is not church attendance. It is not accurate theology. So please let me say this to you. If you have never asked Jesus Christ to forgive you of your sins and restore your relationship to God, then you are not saved. And the beauty is that the same one who stood in that church service in Capernaum stands in that church service right now and offers free forgiveness if you would simply ask. And so my plea to you is don't leave this place, regardless of how many Sundays you've been to church, how many years you've attended, how many theological degrees you have, if you've never asked Jesus to forgive you and restore your relationship. Today is the day. Because all this talk about taking the gospel out into the world means nothing if you have never taken the gospel into your own heart. And so, Lord, I beg you that you would stir in us a fresh passion to obey your command, that you would place in us the same love that we sang about. Oh, you love us, and God, help us to love the people in the world around us and be willing to share the message even when it's difficult and even when it's challenging because that's what you did, and that's the pattern you laid before us. And I beg you, Lord, for anyone in this room who may be sitting in church but has never asked and embraced and experienced your forgiveness, that today would be the day. Lord, may this county be different because your church insists on offering the gospel and leaving the results to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.